In the mountains is where I personally find solace and get away from the hustle and bustle of life. But for many others, the mountains is a location of horrifying memories where they encountered something terrifying and unexplainable. Welcome back to the swamp, my friends, and welcome if you're new. Today I'm going to be sharing some creepy and allegedly true horror stories sent in by viewers just like you from mountain areas all around the globe. As always, if you have a story that you would like to share from a mountain area or the woods or somewhere else, be sure to submit it to swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I would love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. It's stories like yours that help keep this show going on a daily basis. Joining me today on this video helping me read story number two is my good friend Zach Baby TV. If you're a fan of cryptid stories and supernatural stories, definitely check out their channel after this video. You can find a link to do so in the description down below. Before we jump right into today's content, I just wanted to let you guys know I have recently started streaming over on Twitch every single day just about. I'm playing horror games, reading scary stories live, and just doing other cool stuff over there that doesn't really fit the YouTube channel. So. If you're looking for extra content from the swamp, join me over on Twitch. You can find the link to do so in the description down below. Hey Swamp Dweller, my name is Nick, and I've got a story about when I and some college friends took a camping trip that turned out an entirely lot different than we expected. It will sound unbelievable, but it will be the truth to the best that I can recall. So, me and five others, Mike and Jess, Ben, Kyle, and Brittany, who all met in college, we all became quick friends. We decided it would be a fun time to go on a camping trip out west in our junior year. But we wanted something a little more private, so we could indulge in some more college-level activities and went far into the Rocky Mountain National Park to avoid other people. So, we went very far, and we had to get backcountry permits and give the ranger our names. We had to tell them when we would be back and who to call if we didn't show up on time. The location we would be hiking to, everything that you could imagine, we had to give them. Then, before we set out, we stopped at a local store to pick up some last-minute stuff. Lighters, matches, batteries, things like that. Now, some people will think it's starting to sound made up, but again, it's not. Jess and Brittany were toward the back of the store grabbing some things only girls needed when a local guy approached them, asking if they were from around there or if they were tourists. Jess told him she was with all of us and that we were tourists who came to hike into the backcountry to get away from the stress of college for a few days. He asked which mountain trail we would be walking, and Jess, who watches way too many crime shows, told him about a path across the park at least 10 miles away from where we were hiking. So, to say the least, she thought she was helping us be safe. The local looked visibly relieved and let out a big sigh, so I'm not going to say precisely which trail to try to again keep the privacy of the others. But the local, after his sigh, said, That's a nice trail. We always try to steer people that direction and away from... And he said the trail we intended to take was nice, I guess, but he cut himself off multiple times just like that. Why is that? Brittany asked. 
Nothing too crazy, just ten years or so ago, a girl went up missing there. And a few years after that, a guy moved into town who is unfriendly and he spends a lot of time on and around the trail for whatever reason. Runs a lot of tourists off by hollering at them and threatening them. None of us had spent any time looking up the area's history, so we didn't really know about anyone going missing or anything like that. But it was the Rockies, and people sometimes go missing, as sad as it is. Jess thanked the local and took Brittany up to the front of the store with all of us guys, which was only about 15 feet away. The store was so small and told us about the talk with the guy. Mike, who was curious about the missing girl, went to the back of the store as we checked out and went out to the truck. After a few minutes, he came out, hopped in the car, and told us what the guy had told him about the missing girl. He told Mike that the girl was only five years old and was on a vacation with her family. They had gone out for a hike and the little girl wanted to play hide and seek while her mother got lunch ready for picnic. The father and the girl were playing when the little girl went to hide and the dad watched her duck behind a bush trying to hide. He had played like he couldn't find her and went about 10 yards past her before turning around and she was gone. The father and mother searched everywhere, high and low, and when they couldn't find her, the dad ran back down to the trail to get a ranger. The search had been absolutely massive, according to the local, probably a record breaker, to the point that the military even stepped in to help, but the girl was never found. He said the dad stayed around for a few weeks after the search was officially ended, but he too had given up hope and left eventually. Ben, who was really into things like this, mentioned how it was very similar to the missing 411 stuff we had heard, and how strange it was, but nonetheless it was 10 years ago and we pushed it out of our minds and kept on with our plans. We parked the car at the trailhead about an hour later, geared up, and started into the forest. Mike and Jess hung in the back chatting while Ben, Kyle, and Brittany all talked about our majors, what we wanted to do after college, and how nice it was to get away for just a few days. I'm sorry I don't have many details about what we discussed. All the finer points of what we got were pretty boring, to be honest, and they were kind of lost with time. I remember that Ben and Kyle were both in criminal justice courses and were talking about becoming cops or even FBI agents while Brittany was majoring in engineering and discussing what we wanted to do once we graduated. Finally, we reached a small clearing a few hours before dark and we agreed it was an excellent time to set up camp and start relaxing. We calculated that the area that we were at was a good spot and would work for what we wanted to do. Not quite as far as we told the ranger, but far enough. Mike and Jess shared a tent while the rest of us had our own, so it was a wonderful little tent city out in the middle of the woods. We got a fire going and started getting into those college-level activities I talked about earlier. No drinking since carrying alcohol miles into the mountains would be tough, so instead we had something quite a bit easier to maintain and smelled kind of like a skunk. It was just starting to get dark, and we had been going for an hour and had eaten, so we were all having a good time. Then. Out of nowhere, out of the corner of my eye, I thought I saw movement and turned to look, but nothing was there. Kyle saw me looking into the trees and joked about how I was paranoid, even miles away from civilization. Nah man, for real, I'm pretty sure I, I think I saw something. He laughed it off and told me to take a break and enjoy the quiet. And that's what I did, until Brittany jumped up and pointed into the trees. There's a man in that tree she yelled. 
We all jumped up and followed her finger into the trees and saw the silhouette of a large man jumping out of the tree no less than 15 feet off the ground and running into the woods. We were shocked, and that's an understatement. Jess was almost in tears, hanging on to Mike. Ben and Kyle were standing in front of us, and Brittany was behind us. I was between her and the fire, just staring in the direction of the sky and the way he had run off in. How long do you think he was there? Ben asked. We have been here for hours. He had to have been here this whole time, or we would have seen him, Kyle said. Jess, through tears, asked, Can we leave now? I don't want to stay out here. We all knew it was way too dark to try and get back now, but no one wanted to say it. Once someone did say it, though, it would become way too real. So finally Mike suggested we all get the firewood we can, keep the fire big so no one can sneak up close to us, and we would all stay up all night and sleep in shifts if we had to sleep. It seemed reasonable, right? We thought so, at least. So we started gathering firewood as the last sliver of sunlight disappeared and began building our fire. The only problem is, and if you've ever built a large fire before, you know this, it needs a lot of wood, and a lot more than we could gather before the sun went down completely. So we quickly realized that we didn't have enough wood, and someone would have to use a flashlight and venture out past the ring of light the fire gave, which felt like a ring of protection at that point. Now, I have no trouble remembering the details in this next part. At the time, I was about 5 foot 11 and 200 pounds as a power lifter, so I was big and decided that I should get the wood. Since I could carry the most and the guy who leapt out of the tree was huge, if he was around, I was the best equipped to fight him if he attacked anybody. At least, that logic made sense in my head. I never hated being the big guy more in my life, but I couldn't argue with the logic, I guess. So, I got my flashlight and made my way out past the firelight into the forest. I couldn't have been more than just a few feet in the tree line when the hairs on the back of my neck stood up. I knew I had to have more wood, so I started looking for more giant sticks that we could burn longer and saw just one a few more feet into the dark. I hadn't turned my light on yet because I tried to use the moonlight and stay stealthy, so I bent down and grabbed the stick and noticed that I could hear what at first I thought was a light breeze, but it was coming in intervals, and they were too identical. I quickly realized it was breathing. It was coming from above me. I was petrified with fear. I didn't want to react and let this guy know I had detected him, but I didn't want him to have this advantage over me at the same time. But before I decided what to do, I heard what sounded like someone standing up. With their back pressed into the bark and the branches above me straining ever so slightly with the weight moving on them, I knew this guy had stood up. I slowly looked up when the forest erupted in bright lights and muzzles a flash, and a loud bang sent my ears ringing. The guy had let out an awful screaming noise and started leaping from the tree further into the forest. I could hear my friend screaming from the fire. Then, when I turned back to run, a voice came from the darkness about 20 feet away. Don't run. I froze. I'm going to come out now. Don't run, the voice said. The local from the store then came into my view as he came up to me from further in the forest. You're not supposed to be here, he growled through clenched teeth. Take me back to your group, he snapped at me, and we both walked back into the beautiful circle of light the fire was giving. What the hell are you doing here? Jess snapped as soon as she recognized the man. I could ask you the same thing, he snapped right back. 
we all noticed that he was wearing what looked like a ghillie suit and had a very military-looking gun slung across his chest. His face was painted camouflage, and his backpack looked like something from the military. You guys really shouldn't be here, he said again. Was that you in the tree messing with us? Ben asked. No. He then asked us all to sit down, and that he needed to tell us what was going on. I think we were also in shock that we did what he asked without thinking. Look, guys, I know it was weird asking in the store where you guys were going, but it was to make sure you didn't come here. I was trying to keep you away from this area. That's why I told you guys about the guy acting nuts on the trail in the hopes that you didn't come here, even if you did lie to me. Which you did, which obviously I knew you did, but since you are here, I don't see the point in lying to you now. It will only make things harder. So, my name is Vince Halderman. And just cut him off right there and said, Wait, isn't that the last name of the little girl who went missing? Yes, it is, he replied. She was my daughter, and I saw what happened the day my daughter was taken. That word hit me hard, he said. Taken. That's a lot different than going missing in the woods. I was taken implied that someone or something was responsible for his daughter going missing. That day when I turned to catch her, I saw something holding her under its arm and leaping up into the trees. It took my daughter, and no one believed me. That's why the dogs never smelled her, and they never found her tracks. It took her up into the trees. My wife didn't believe me. She blamed me for losing her, and hell, I blame myself too, but I knew what I saw, and I moved out here and swore to track this thing down for my daughter. He was almost in tears at this point, and I don't know if this was pain or rage that was driving it. More than likely, it was both. You keep saying it. What is it? Asked Mike. I'm not entirely sure, and I do know it's humanoid. They can climb exceptionally well, so probably a primate of sorts, and I know it sounds like a Bigfoot or something, but I don't know if that's what it is. I also know it hunts, it preys from the trees and uses ambush tactics. He turned towards me. That's what it was doing with you when I took my shot. It was preparing to drop down onto you. This sent chills down my spine. It was hunting me. And lastly, not to make things worse, I know there is more than one. I looked around at the group and could tell they were scared and half believed this guy. But I believed him. I had heard this thing above me. What do we do? Brittany asked him. Well, for tonight, we keep the fire going, and in the morning, we will walk out of here. They don't like to move around much during the day. I think they might be nocturnal. We sat around the fire in a circle for a few hours, watching the tree line very intently. It was pretty like Kyle said, but an unsettling quiet. Like even the bugs didn't want to be found. Then, finally, Vince kept his gun ready, and scanned the tree line with his scope. He told us that his thermal scope was helping him see in the dark, and he would see them if they came. Around one in the morning, the fire was starting to get low, and our wood supply was gone. Vince agreed that we had to keep the fire going so he would stand at the fire in a relatively safe way, while Kyle and I would go get wood to cover us. We had been getting wood for a few minutes when rocks flew past my head. I looked up just in time to see a rock smash into my forehead, sending a white flash and pain down my body. I fell backward onto my butt, when I heard shots ring out and hissing of bullets above my head. 
A howl and a thud came from above me. A body had fallen out of the tree a few yards ahead of me, and I could barely tell it was covered in hair, and the thing was struggling to breathe. I could hear it wheezing almost. Get back to the fire, Vince was yelling, but I couldn't take my eyes off this thing. I tried to capture every detail in the dim light before Kyle began pulling me back. Finally, we reached the fire, and Vince made sure that apart from the cut of my forehead, I wasn't hurt. He pulled some supplies out of his bag and bandaged up my forehead. I think you killed one, I finally stammered. Yeah, I did. Not the first and probably not the last. How many? Mike asked. Not exactly sure. I don't go check the bodies, and they always get dragged off. But I've got three with headshots, so at least that many. If they're in the trees, how can you hunt them? He asked again. It took a while to figure out, honestly. But I watched them for years from a distance and figured out they hunt primarily by smell and movement. So I use cover and scent and store this ghillie suit outside to smell like the woods. Then post up along one of their hunting trails a couple of hundred yards away and wait. Eventually they will come by and uh, if they get a kill where I can see, I take my shot, then lay still till the morning. Jesus, man. Usually, once one goes down, the others take them away and stay away for a few weeks, even a few months. I have no idea where they go or what they do. Ben finally spoke for the first time in a while. So we should be good the rest of the night. If the pattern holds. And luckily for us, it did. Apart from some howls way up the mountain, we didn't have any other issues that night. In the morning, we all packed up and Vince escorted us down the hill back to the trailhead and we didn't talk much on the way down the mountain. I think we were in shock and just too tired. We loaded up our car and thanked Vince. I was the only one who had seen anything other than the first one that jumped out of the tree, and some of the others, over time, convinced themselves it was just locals messing with us, and Vince was in on it, but I knew better. The last I saw of Vince, he checked his gun while walking back up the trail into the mountains. It's been a few years since then, and I haven't gone back up or tried to look him up and I can't tell you why that is other than I just don't want to know. Some of the conversations in this story have been paraphrased due to me not remembering exactly everything that was said, but I remember all the essential parts. I don't think I'll ever forget them. I know this story seems made up, and if I had heard it from someone else, I wouldn't believe it myself, but it's entirely true. But even if you think I'm full of it, do me one thing while in the deep forest. Check the trees. Don't worry guys, the trail is a short loop. This was the sentence that got my cousins, sister, and I hopelessly lost on a wet and muddy mountain trail mere hours after dark. The sentence that led all but one of us to leave our phones in the car. The sentence had now become the butt of many jokes between us, but only after we got back to our cabin. The sentence that ensured that we would never go hiking again. And the sentence that was the reason I can't sleep tonight and why I'm writing this in the first place. Because now, I know there's something out there. But I'm getting ahead of myself. This all started during my extended family annual vacation. This year, it was decided that we would be renting a huge cabin in the Blue Ridge Mountains in northern Georgia for a couple of days. 
the cabin was rather isolated and was at the base at one of the mountains. This particular mountain was absolutely covered in trails of all kinds. My extended family is quite large, so it didn't take long for my sister, cousins, and I to get irritated with the constant noise from our younger cousins, nine and six years old, running around and trying to involve themselves in everything we would do around the house. Ever tried playing pool with a six-year-old? Trust me, it's not fun. Putting a pool stick in their hand is just a recipe for disaster and injury. That is the reason that the four of us went out on a hiking trail that day. It was me, my sister Sarah, and my cousins Danny and Will. It was all Will's idea. He was an avid hiker and had been eager to go out onto the trail since the day before we arrived at the cabin, and he already had a trail picked out. Don't worry guys, the trail is a short loop. He announced as we stood at the entrance of the trail. I think it's supposed to rain today, I said nervously looking up at the dark gray clouds, not wanting to ruin my phone or my shoes on the trail if it got muddy. It won't be a problem, Will said assuringly, but nonetheless, Danny, Sarah, and I threw our phones in his car, not even wanting to risk it. Thankfully, Will kept a hold of his. So we set off on the trail at about 3 p.m., we would be on the actual trail for about an hour and a half, and then lost in the woods for almost four more. The first hour wasn't bad. The rain held off for a bit as we hiked the steep path up the mountain. As much as I hadn't wanted to go in the first place, I was actually having a good time. As someone who spent a lot of time online reading horror stories, I was even teasing Danny about skinwalkers in the woods, wendigos, black-eyed children, and anything else that I could think of. I don't think I was scaring him that bad, though. I'm pretty sure he was only worried about running into a bear or something. Thirty minutes later, we reached a clearing on the trail. This looks like the end of the trail. I don't think it's a loop, Will, Danny said to his older brother, who looked a bit confused. No, I know for a fact that this is a loop. The map said so. Sarah pointed to a sign. It doesn't look like this is the end. Thinking back on it, I don't think the sign said anything too important. I'm pretty sure that it was just historical facts about the area, but I was also pretty sure that the sign marked the end of the trail. No, Will insisted. It's a loop, see? He pointed to the trail a bit to the left of the sign. I think that's a different trail, I muttered, but my grievance went unnoticed by Will who confidently strode to the trail and began walking down it. The three of us knew we couldn't exactly leave him to wander the trail alone, so instead of turning around, like Danny and I had suggested multiple times, we followed. As we entered the trail, there was a loud clap of thunder and the rain started to pour down. We had been walking for two hours when you could tell that Will and Sarah were starting to get as nervous as Danny and I. Let's turn around, Danny suggested. Even if it is a loop, I don't think we're going down the mountain. We're still going up and we need to get back soon. Will signed in defeat. Fine. We all turned around 
and began walking back down the trail. We walked in silence. The only sound was the pouring rain hitting the leaves on the trees and our shoes sticking and getting unstuck from the mud that the rain had turned the dirt trail into. It wasn't long before we ran into a problem. The trail split off into two paths and we had no idea which one we came down. We tried the left trail, which then split off into two more paths. Before we knew it, we were hopelessly lost. It wasn't even 20 minutes later that we realized that we weren't alone either. Oh, don't worry guys, it's a loop, I said, mocking Will's upbeat tone from earlier, only half-jokingly while making a mental note never to hike with him again. We're not lost, he insisted nervously. I could use my phone to find out where we are. I have an app that maps out trails. He pulled out his phone and opened the app. According to the app, we weren't even on a trail. The blue dot that marked our location was in the middle of a green patch that signified woods. We couldn't even see any trails on the screen. Ah yes, the green trail. We just have to follow the green, Danny commented dryly. However, what had worried us the most was what we saw on Will's phone was a tiny black number next to the top right corner of the screen. The battery percentage... 8%. As Will tried to locate a trail or a road on his phone, we all continued walking. The constant rain had stopped by then, leaving the woods absolutely silent. That's when Danny noticed something. Uh, do you guys see that? He asked hesitantly, slowly lifting his arm to point down to a ravine that we were walking parallel to. Sarah and I took a look into the ditch, while Will just spared a quick glance and then just went back to trying to find a way out of the woods on his phone. We had trouble finding what he was pointing at, as we scanned the tree line in the dim light of the quickly setting sun. Then we saw it. A dark, distorted, human-shaped figure standing at the base of the ravine in between two small trees. It looked... Well, it looked fuzzy. It didn't really have a clear outline and it kind of glitched as it stared back at us. Its arm would jerk quickly, and then its head would twitch sideways for only a millisecond before it went back to normal. Although it looked human, it didn't appear to be male or female, and as if it couldn't get any creepier, I saw its eyes. It had huge human eyes, the whites of them standing out starkly against its dark face. It began to make a low but loud whining sound as we continued staring, frozen in fear and disbelief. The thing had no mouth, but anyone could tell that it was smiling by the gleeful look in its eyes. Hey guys, there's a road near us, we just have to... Will stopped realizing that the three of us were just staring horrified into the ravine. What are you guys staring at? He asked, seemingly irritated that we were ignoring his discovery. He looked down to where we were looking and screamed. The thing's head twitched in his direction and its eyes fixated onto his. Strangely enough, his scream actually shocked us out of our frozen stupor, and Danny grabbed his brother's arm, 
and we all sprinted down the still muddy trail, not even caring where we were going. As we ran, Will regained his bearings and began to direct us towards the road. I turned to see if the thing was following, and unsurprisingly, it was. We really never saw it move, besides the glitching thing that it had going on. But there it was, on the trail where we had just been standing, still staring at us, still smiling as we ran. The whining sound continued at the same volume and pitch, no matter how far away we got from it. After it seemed like we had been running on the trail forever, Will called out to us to cut through the trees. We crashed through the undergrowth for a while, focusing so hard on not tripping, we almost didn't notice the river that appeared in front of us. Without hesitation, all four of us stepped in, wading our way across the churning, fast-moving water. We all clambered out, completely soaked, but we felt somewhat safer, even though we could still hear the whining. That was before we turned to look back across the river. There it was. We could see it a bit clearer now that it was closer. It looked a bit taller than Danny, probably just under seven feet tall. Its wide, white, human-like eyes seemed to glow in the now-darkened woods. Its cheerful smile was still evident in its eyes, and it was glitching more often now. It was even blacker than the dark forest around it, seeming to pull the shadows from the forest floor and from the trees as it stood there. The whining sound started to get even louder than it was before. It was almost painful at this point. Then it started to walk closer to the river. It had a strange walk. If you have ever seen someone try to walk with a badly sprained ankle, you can get an idea of how it moved. Before it could even get to the very edge of the water, we all just turned around and started running again. We could see a light beyond the trees of the woods, and we all sprinted towards it. We ended up in someone's backyard just out of the woods, and Will shouted out that he could see the road. The source of the light that we saw was a street light, and all four of us took solace in the beam of light emanating from it. Please tell me you still have battery in your phone, I pleaded, completely out of breath as Will pulled his phone out of his pocket. 2%, he muttered under his breath as he quickly hit send current location to the huge family group chat. Not long after it showed that the message had delivered, his phone screen went black. We had no idea where we were, no idea if someone was coming to get us, and we had no idea if the thing in the woods was still following us. Not wanting to take chances, Danny and I kept a watch on the part of the woods where we had come out of just a few minutes before. After about 20 minutes, all of us signed a sign of relief when we saw headlights of my mom's white SUV pull up to where we were waiting. We clambered into the car, my younger sister, Lindley, making fun of how we had gotten lost. We all just kept quiet as we pulled away from the street lamp. Danny turned around to look behind us, and when he turned around, his face was as white as a sheet. It was standing under the streetlight, just watching us. 
he shakily whispered to me as we drove even further down the road. We never ended up telling anyone about the thing in the woods. Who would have believed us? We probably would have been lectured about making up stories to scare the kids. So we just said that we had gotten lost while we were on the trail. Of course, we blamed Will for getting us lost in the first place. We ate dinner, showered, and we went down to the basement where we were all going to be sleeping. My sisters and I got the couches. Danny and Will got mattresses on the ground. I already said that the main reason I wrote this was because I couldn't sleep. There's a huge bay window facing the mountain trail where we had gotten lost and where we had encountered whatever it was. Since it's so dark outside, we would never even see it coming. I was lying on the couch, wondering if it would follow us this far from where we had first seen it. The one thing that was bothering me was that I could still hear the whining noises in my head. I had really, really hoped it was just in my head. But then Danny asked, Can you guys hear that too? I don't think any of us are sleeping tonight. Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true horror stories from mountains sent in by viewers just like you. As always, if you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit your story at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I would love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. If you enjoyed these stories, be sure to hit that like button as it helps me out a ton. The more likes this episode gets, the more YouTube promotes it, and that's very helpful to the swamp. If you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, be sure to give this a 5-star rating over there as it helps me out a ton. If you're new to the swamp, why not join us? Hit that subscribe button and turn on notifications to never miss a new episode, as I upload them nearly every single day in all things natural and supernatural. Much love and appreciation to my friend Zach Baby TV, who read story number two today. If you enjoy his voice, be sure to check out his channel. There's a link in the description. He uploads all kinds of cool stuff on cryptids and paranormal things. If you're on the go but don't have YouTube Premium and still would like to download and listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories no matter where you are, you can download them absolutely free from Spotify. Apple Podcast, Stitcher Radio, and just about everywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. As I said in the intro of this episode, I am now streaming just about every single day over on Twitch. I'm streaming horror games, live scary stories, and more. So be sure to join me over there. The link is in the description with everything else. Thank you guys, as always, for supporting the Swamp the way you do. Don't forget to join me over on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and I'll see you all soon with another creepy episode.